Welcome to I Was Told There'd Be Food, a podcast by grad students Jen and Alex about all things academia and history. How do you get academics to attend anything? Promises of food, um, which is good because it's lunchtime at the moment, and so there's food, right? Uh, sure. Well, I'm an hour ahead of you, so lunchtime's over, man. Uh, not in Mexico. Well, depends on which part. Well, no, or anywhere else civilized where lunch goes on for two hours at least. Oh, well, uh, yeah, this is America. We have that crazy work ethic thing, right? Do we? I say crazy work ethic thing because I think we take it a bit too far, but that's all right. Yes. So welcome to lunch. Sure. So ask me how I am. So how are you doing this week, Jen? I am doing amazing. Why would that be? Because I passed my dissertation defense. <gasps> They're making me a PhD. Woo! Wait, so now now it's 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 sort of a split show, isn't it? Because there's graduate student me and there's Dr. You. <laughs> well, I suppose, but according to the university, I'm still a grad student until December. <laughs> until you wear the magic cap and hood. Right. So, yeah, that is the weird, that's the weird kind of limbo thing. Cause it's like, as far as the field's concerned, I've jumped through all the hoops. I did all the things and it's all, yay. And then the university is like, we'll have our stay in December. <laughs> like they're going to change their mind. Their say is handed down to them from your department. Well, I realize it's just, it's just funny that it's like kind of, Yes and no at the same time moment, but but as far as, as, far as official pieces of paper and things, right, right. So. But but all the stuff is done. You don't have to stress out about research anymore, right? I mean, you know, if I'm going to have a career, I probably will still have research stress, well, I mean, but not for yes, a little like while. for this project, for this moment, right? I am this project, which has been going on for yes. two years longer. About two years. I mean, I I built on previous research, but as far as a specific, uh, very specific topic for the dissertation itself, about two years, yeah. Not bad. So where does all that data go afterwards? I mean, I've, I've seen your home <laughs> office, fair. so, and I know you like to print well, things. Well, okay, so the funny thing is, like, the home office is uh, my oldest son's bedroom. He's already moved back in. Um, I had, for a long time, they wanted to share a room and that was great for me because I had office. Then they wanted separate rooms and I lost my office. Then I decided I couldn't finish my dissertation without a home office and kicked the older kid out and back in with his brother. So he's already moved back in, but so the, what I did was I had made it an office slash guest room. And so there was enough space and I didn't have to clean things up. This is a genius design tip, people. I built a desk to fit inside the closet. And so, and, the, and there's light and everything. And then that way, if somebody actually needed the guest room as a guest room, all I had to do was close the closet doors. It like was a wide opening with like bifold doors. So I just had to close the doors. And I never had to pick up my papers or any of that stuff. And the room was nice and clean. It was... <laughs> Genius, people. Genius. And, um, it was a fantastic old use of technology, that building a desk. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah. So now I still have the closet 
I still have the desk. Actually, his Lego creation. Wait, so here your son now has a room, but he doesn't have a closet. So he's like he's slowly taking it over, and I haven't. No, no, no. He has the room. I still have the closet where the desk is. I don't know. I'm I'm starting to slowly pick that stuff up out of there and trying to figure out where where does that live now that I don't need it daily. I don't know. I don't know. It seems like the task that every historian has to deal with, though, right? How do you organize your space, and how do you organize all your information? How do you keep it? How do you keep it clean, just so that you don't, you know, feel completely lost every time you crack open old notebooks? I don't think I ever solved it. You know, like. Well, you're getting closer than some of us. Maybe, but I feel like it's like this perpetual problem. Like I, that's the other thing. Like I'm really excited about the idea of sitting down and cleaning up my computer files because. <laughs> Like, I would get sick of, like, going in and finding stuff, so I would just pull things and leave them on my desktop, and I would have the little sticky notes app. Oh, I have, like, ten sticky notes, like, stuck to my desktop. It's a mess. Wow. Okay, yeah. I'm, I, I take back what I said about you doing better. <laughs> I know. I'm terrible. Like, somehow it works. Like, it's, like, my... But do you use anything else? Because I know you were talking recently about some uh, software that you were thinking of using more of. Oh, yeah. I'm always tempted. This will be okay. So this episode is going to be need to be interactive. I think our listeners are going to have to chime in in comments or whatever, uh, either on Twitter or Facebook and talk about what they use and what works and doesn't work. Because I think we'll talk about some stuff that we think about using some stuff we actually use what works, what doesn't. What you're referring to is I told you I want to get the Scrivener, the writing software that sort of helps you organize projects. Mm -hmm. It was really designed for creative writers, but they've put some academic features in. And I had actually looked at Scrivener a while back, but I, I don't know what the new alleged academic features are. Do you have an idea? Not really, because when you um, watch the little tutorials or watch other people review it, it tends to be people who are focused on the creative side. And so... I'm not actually sure. I mean, I think that the that they fixed up stuff with footnoting and maybe even last I heard they were fixing kinks with the whole cite, like citation software compatibility, but I don't know. I haven't quite looked at that very deeply. What I liked about what I saw was sources like um, things like web pages and sometimes there are things that are like now digitized and stuff, you can put those links to that right into the project rather than having to have a bunch of bookmarks in your browser that, you know, you can technically organize, but I never managed to organize them very well. Mm -hmm. So I like the idea that you can have like this page that's like in, in the whole file of your project. They call it a binder. So you have that page in your binder where you can drop those websites and just be able to click and refer to them without even having to go back into your browser. That's kind of cool. Yeah, because I think it streamlines and it it makes it so that you don't have all those extra steps that come with trying to remember how to make the connections with your sources as you're going through, right? Because when you're writing, you want it to be fluid. You want to be able to say, here's my idea and I have this recollection that it's in this place and I don't want to have to spend... 15 minutes searching through my files in the internet trying to find this one source. So it sounds like the sort of thing that can streamline the process. 
Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. And they have different ways of helping you like organize whether you like outlining or they have this like corkboard feature where Mm -hmm. each little bit is on a like a virtual note card. And you can if you slide those note cards around, it will slide those parts of your document around for you. So there's not that whole like oh, right, I'm going to highlight and cut this whole piece of this, and I'm going to find that point and then paste it in there, mm-hmm. which is not terrible, other than that scroll, if you have a very long document, that scrolling back and forth can be tricky, like you can lose your place and take waste time trying to find where it is. So the idea of just kind of shuffling it around when it's in an outline version of it, it has some appeal. I don't know how useful it is or not, though. Well, with any sort of software utility, is does it in some ways work for your own personal style? And are there ways that your personal style might benefit that might seem uncomfortable at first because it's new that you should consider? So I know a lot of people, and, and I myself have even uh, dabbled a bit with bibliographic software, which I think is fairly standard now among most historians or people in the humanities, but things like, mm-hmm. um, you know, Zotero or Library Online or, yeah, it'll come to me later. But the idea of being able to just organize all of your citations in specific indexing software as a way of saying, mm-hmm. all right, every time I download an article, it's saved in a very specific database. It is always cataloged in the same way and even ways of linking up when you're writing to these sorts of software plugins and being able to make standard citations that move even when you edit text. See, I thought that that sounded brilliant, but I have to confess, like, although I I downloaded Zotero and thought I would use it, I couldn't figure it out. Mm -hmm. And it was so much work that I actually did all of my citations for my entire dissertation manually. Which I don't, I don't think there's any problem with that. And in part, I should also say I, the only reason that I ever really got into the use of bibliographic software at all was because of a um, former visiting professor here at Minnesota who was very interested in technology to support research and actually did a series of workshops for members of the of the faculty and grad student community to say, you know, this is how you can get into software and introduced me to some pretty interesting free software. Did he do like actual like here is how to do it or just you should try using it? No, it was like two and a half hours of sit with the projector and showing you how to work the software. He also involved things like... um, uh, image-based software. So like many of us, when we go into the archives, we'll bring a digital camera and sometimes it's really mm-hmm. nice and we have a stand. So it keeps a steady image the entire time, but you run into pro- <laughs> sometimes, well, you run into problems though, right? Because the books are, or texts are not necessarily always going to cooperate in the way you want. Sometimes you can use, you know, uh, book holds, but sometimes you don't have the opportunity and even relatively good pictures can come out not the way you would want. For instance, you might have pages that tend to curve, say towards the spine in the middle, making it harder to read some of the material. And he showed us how you could use certain image um, image altering software to take these JPEG files and then essentially smooth them out. So the computer estimates what the image would look like if it were actually smoothed out and you can get perfectly flat, crisp images. Also ways of even turning these into... Uh, 
PDF files that are, have searchable text. Well, I'll talk about that in just a second. But I thought it was interesting. I had looked at a, a AHA article that was analyzing, you know, how how historians engage with different bits of technology. And mm-hmm. in 2010, nobody used any kind of photo editing software. And then by 2015, there's, you know, I don't even remember how many are on there. I could look, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, like it went from no, nobody not registering on the bar at all. So 0% up to 30% as far as image editing. So we have definitely moved up as far as that bit of tech goes. Mm-hmm. I do. So I, one of my friends, the day I was finishing a month in the archives, tweets, this Scanner Pro app is the best thing ever. You snap a picture and it turns it into a searchable PDF file. Mm-hmm. I was like, now you tell me? I've been here for a month. All of my things are picture format. Which um, software was that? I, I believe he said it was the Scanner Pro, which I have looked up that exists. I've looked at several a lot of there are a lot of different ones, both free and paid. The paid ones, the pro levels are usually about five dollars, and it sounds worth the five dollars. But there were, I mean, I've seen Tiny Scanner is another one. I'm not trying to like promote particular brands because I didn't know, so I'm trying to throw out more. Well, there's one, there's <laughs> one that I like, which is Scan Tailor, which is also free to access. Uh, and that's the exactly. one specifically that will allow you to reshape like oddly curved pages or if you have ones that are at really difficult to read angles. It, it allows you basically to to take any of your scans and make it. It's almost like Photoshop, but in a way that is useful for academics. How does it work? So if you've used that one, then how does it work with saving the actual file? Because this is my biggest frustration with photos it's either into a a pdf file or a djvu file yeah no i don't mean the file format Mm. i mean the actual file name like does it give you that automatic chance to name it do you have to go back later and name them this is this is the biggest hindrance to organizing that i have ever found with with using a camera in the archives yeah you you have the ability to save the file name as you like immediately or it's a clunky thing where you got to go back in and do it later like you snap the picture and what what is it titled in that moment so the the picture the file that you create is created from the pictures that you upload into the software itself so you are naming the file as you are doing the work you don't have to necessarily though you can go back and rename it later Um, it's because the pictures can be one picture or multiple images that become either of the two file types that are saved afterwards. Okay, so I could take, so it allows me, if I had like, say a whole booklet I was taking a picture of, I could actually save all of the images of it as one file. Yeah, you should be able to. Because that would be useful. Because right now, I mean, because if you do it just by taking pictures, you have individual pictures of each one. Mm -hmm. And then your camera or phone automatically labels it, you know, IMG, whatever, random number. It has a real number, but it feels random to you. Well, it's because because it's it's 12 characters long. And yeah, yeah, I've I've still got like 500 photos in my phone just of those sorts of things. Well, I know. And that's been a really big pain to organize and to go back through. And I have a bone to pick with Apple and they're in the middle of all this like the the old iPhoto used to actually organize it pretty well when I went to the archives and it was fine 
new version not so very much and it's my photos are a mess and whenever I've had to try to like go back and use them it's really frustrating I will give you this tip though if you are doing photos in in the archive you should every time first take a picture of the box label then take a picture of the photo label or folder label folder label, folder label and then take the pictures that you want from that folder every mm -hmm. time even if you're even if like you go to another type of document and you it's the same box or whatever still do it because it will save you some headaches and frustrations later when you're trying to look back at what happened and nobody cares about megabytes worth of data anymore yeah that's true tiny tiny amounts something else about that aha article too that was interesting is the sense that um a lot of historians claim that the reason because I, I read it as well they didn't they claimed that the reason they didn't pick up a lot of new technologies was they said they just didn't need to there was no necessity prompting them to pick up this software which I find to be an interesting question too of, and part of the workshop series that I remembered is this idea of what changes with digital tools. And at least this professor's position was that the methodology is something that doesn't exist inherent to any of the software. All of the methodology, the historical training that we engage in when doing research and, and publishing it is something that comes from us, that tools can facilitate and potentially change in some ways to streamline or make more convenient or allow us to deal with larger amounts of data. Uh, and I wonder if there isn't, even among our audience members, the same sort of skepticism that you and I have about how much do you want to dive into the pool of digital tools? Uh, I mean, I think what it really comes down to is instruction on it and timing. I mean, mm -hmm. it's great that you had somebody teaching you to use the bibliographic software, because that was my problem. I didn't. I downloaded it. I looked at the user guides. I looked at some reviews, and I just couldn't figure it out. Partly because where I was starting writing, I was trying to write a piece where I needed to just use a bunch of these primary sources, which meant I had to enter them into the software. But why was I entering them into the software if I could just enter them into the document? It felt, it felt like extra work to me at the time. By the time I got to the end and I was working on moving things around, which meant moving footnotes and wait, does this full citation now come before, or does it still come before an abbreviated citation style? You know, it mm -hmm. just, it got to be a mess, and I, I realized why people deal with the software. But when I was trying to start, it didn't make sense to me, and I didn't know how to use it. And so I think there's a lot of that. And I think that some things are just becoming more prevalent. I mean, now... You don't go to the library to pull down the collection of articles uh, from some journal. Now you go to the online database. To, to be fair, so, I mean, to be fair, I think that's been the case for a while. I remember being an undergraduate, yes. you know, ten years ago, and going my first semester there. My professor required us for an archaeology class to do research using only hard copies of articles. We weren't allowed to take anything off of the internet. And I thought, because mm -hmm. I, I, we had to wander into this back part of the library that nobody used for anything other than, you know, hiding and taking a sneaky nap. Because <laughs> there are like three stories of, of articles that nobody was touching. So I, I, I think it's been at least a little while since... Well, I know, but that's what, but looking at the data sure. on the article is showing, I mean, people use databases online through libraries for a very long time, and now you can see that it's increased 
up to almost 100 Mm percent and that's why i brought it up no that's a fair point i think too like more things are digitized more primary sources are available online so that changes how we access things well and so many people are really doing projects that are geared towards this this format of digital history too i mean i'm sure we can all think of really good digital history projects that we like that rely on this kind of mindset towards research as well Mm -hmm. so i don't know i'm trying to think what else they suggested people are using more now citation software databases social media oh that's interesting Mm -hmm. we can talk about that we're doing it right now kind of Uh, yeah um yeah i mean most of my sources are dead they they were dead before social sociality was invented I mean, that's going to be interesting for future historians. I mean, we now have to, like, look at (laughs) tweets and things. Yeah. I mean, I actually almost feel like there's too much source material for what I do. Like, there is just so much There's going to be way too much for future historians from our perspective anyway. And it's... Try to sort through it all. Man, they're going to have a hard job. Well, this is where, for us, it might be we can bring a healthy dose of skepticism to something like data mining in terms of text mining for source material. But I think it's going to become a necessity in some ways for people who are historians of the late 20th, early 21st century. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. because there's too damn much information. Well, Yes, and we've decided now that it's important to save it all. We've all become pack rats of textual and visual information. Sometimes, though, that can be useful, right? Really useful. Like, not all of the information is trivial. No, that's true. And, I mean, seeing... But the trouble is, is having to go through it all to find the patterns and stuff, which is why data mining type software is, like, that's increasing. People are using it now. That was, like, it's got, like, maybe a percent for text mining software before, and it's now maybe up to 5%. So it hasn't, like, risen dramatically, but in some sense, that's yeah. a, that's a I think good it, jump. And especially as collections become more digitized. But, I, I mean, there are tons of motivations, too, for keeping all of this this tremendous amounts of information. And sometimes the motivations are just, I don't know, you will win a drink or you will win the contest at the end of the episode. Oh, oh, see, he's, all right, he's done talking tech. He wants history <laughs> trivia. Well, you've been missing all the segue opportunities. I'm sorry. They were so good. How did I let them go by? I really don't know. I really do not know. Were there any other last-minute tech uh, ideas then? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think that like probably the most popular things we've talked about, and I'd be interested if our listeners want to share their experiences with uh, either the apps for turning digital photos into PDFs, because I think that is so much more useful to research than a photo. And I think so... I I wish I had gotten in on it before, but by the time I'd done the bulk of my work, there's no point in switching. There's also, I can't remember the name of it now, maybe one of the listeners knows, but there's an app you can put on your phone that allows you to take the photo overlay of the screen and you put it over text and it translates it automatically. I mean, yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, I mean, I've heard, that's another thing, those are getting... um translation software is getting better and better so that's i'm sure really helpful i didn't have to worry about it for my project thankfully so modernists i know well i'm sorry post english is lingua franca worldwide (laughs) i had to work when lingua Uh, franca was franca yeah 
There you go. Yeah. Um, anyway, all right. So there's a lot of stuff. I mean, I I really am interested. And if anybody has any, like, I hate using, I hate word. I think it's perhaps like the worst word processing software out there. It's just that it's so ubiquitous that we're all stuck with it now. So I don't know. Like, I'm always interested in, is it worth doing a project in something else like Scrivener or something? So I don't know. If there are any academics out there actually trying it out, I'd be interested to hear from you. Okay. Okay. I'm giving you a history trivia question. Okay. Who sued Apple Computer for libel after they referred to him as the, quote, butthead astronomer? Hmm. Hmm. Was it Stephen Hawking? No, it was Carl Sagan. Really? I was thinking it could have been Sagan, but I thought he would have been just a little more chill. Apparently not. Hmm. Did you like how my question had tech and science in there? All for you. Look that is awfully good. I found a tech one, no science. Jen, what Supreme Court nominee claimed he was the victim of, quote, high-tech lynching in 1991? Clarence Thomas. That's correct. Woo-hoo. Do you know the context? Because I have no idea. Um... I mean, not specifically, but I would assume it has something to do with the the, um, uh, the sexual harassment. Um, I'm trying to think of her name, but yeah, I want to have Anita Hill, wasn't it? Yes. So I want to say it was in relation to the info, the scandal coming out during his confirmation hearing stuff. No, that makes sense. So nice. So right. we get tech, and we get science, and we get to I don't know. No idea. We get to congratulate Jen for getting a question correct. Woo, it's been my week. I, it's definitely your week. I like how, you know, I like how, you know, we've already moved past the fact that I defended my dissertation and we're just going to be excited that I got a trivia question right because I think that's appropriate. Small victories every day, Dr. Jen. Exactly. All right. Thanks for joining us this week. You can contact us at academicsneedfood at gmail.com. Or tweet us at IWTTBFPod. And truly, we want to hear from you on this one. Talk to us about your tech successes or failures. Thanks to Brian Jones for our music. And it's time to go because we We should should be be ready. ready.